0: We always like to start our show with an introduction and a reminder of why we do our show. In November of 2000, our 17-year-old daughter Leah died in a car accident. Meeting the grief of her death helped us to more fully understand the territory of grief. We each took our own path on that journey and we have now arrived in a place where we can join together to help others navigate the grief journeys. Leah's death provided a doorway to our transformation one that we never expected. Our passion is changing the conversation around grief and helping those we talk to find meaning, purpose, and joy again so they can fully participate in their lives. We invite you to join today's conversation and help us build community.
1: Welcome to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan, where conversations build community. Our Monday Morning Conversations are meant to create a safe space where respectful dialogue is encouraged. Our intention is to promote understanding by listening when having difficult conversations. We hope to offer you resources as you travel your personal journey. Good morning. You're listening to Monday Morning Conversations. And today I'd like to start the show with a shout out to Mary and Karen, who we met at the park last week. They were part of an early childhood group meeting to celebrate the end of the school year. And through our discussion, they recommended an interesting book called The Grieving Brain by Mary Frances O'Connor, and I want to thank them for this resource. Today, I picked a song that has special meaning for me, and it concerns with yearning. They say that yearning is the heart of grief, and saying it another way, grief is yearning of the heart. And this song speaks deeply to me of yearning. It's a song by Carol King called So Far Away.
2: Doesn't help to know You're so far
1: Carol King off her Tapestry album. It goes back uh, quite a few years but it still speaks to us uh, today and it's uh, one of our favorites. So what brings soothing comfort during a stress- stressful experience of loss? Feeling the loss or the absence of a loved one is contrary to what we are used to. The hole in our heart can remain empty when we experience bereavement's physical manifestations. The confusion, the despair, and the yearning to feel differently. It can inhibit you from responding when you are in the throes of someone special dying. Today we'll explore another way to handle the demands placed upon you to take care of things when you, all you really want to do is grieve. Some can respond and keep busy and not deal with the pain and others feel an incapacity and they're in need of an advocate. Together let's learn about some of the options that are available. The role of an executor and the advantage of having an advocate can help you through all the hoops of making arrangements after a loved one dies.
0: Today we have a guest who's going to help us understand that and more. Luann Flanagan-Casper is the founder of Executrixie LLC, a service assisting executors and families after the death of a loved one. Luanne brings compassion, empathy, and understanding to her clients from her own personal experience of having lost both parents by the age of 31. She strives to simplify the multiple tasks and to reinforce the support system of her clients so they can concentrate on their grief. She resides in Apex, North Carolina with her family, serves as Vice Chair of of the Board of Directors for Resources for Seniors, and is an active member of APEX Chamber of Commerce. She's a graduate of the University of Scranton and Loyola University School of Law, New Orleans. Additionally, she has immersed herself in learning as much as she can about the after-loss, end-of-life space, and studied under the late Jean Smith, the founder of, of, of the field of state organizing, and is a certified educator of Willow End-of-Life Program and is a member of PALS, Professionals of Afterlife Services. Welcome, Luann.
3: Thank you so much, Jan and Nancy, for having me today.
0: Well, we're excited for our conversation and excited to have you here. Luann and I are friends and colleagues from back when we lived in North Carolina. Uh, Before we get dive into our, our conversation, Luann, tell us what ExecuTrixie does, and tell us the meaning of the name ExecuTrixie. Okay,
3: thank you. Yes, ExecuTrixie. It doesn't necessarily really off the tongue, but let me get into the meaning of that. Um, So, ExecuTrixie is the combination of two Latin words, Executrix and Trixie. Executrix, you may be, you may, be familiar with um, it's the female version of an executor, um, a person who carries out the terms of a will. Trixie is short for Beatrix, and that is um, that translates from the Latin as the bringer of joy, blessings, or light. So putting executive Trixie together, it means she who brings light to a state a- administration. I. I'm somewhat of a word nerd. I have a lifelong relationship with the Latin language. And, you know, I like to tell people I'm a, an alumna of Scranton Preparatory School. In It's a Jesuit high school in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And there I was required to take two years of Latin. And, and so it just stayed with me, not just my love of words, but just also the Jesuits instilled in me a lifelong desire to learn new things and also to be of service to others. And what my work does is that I like to bring awareness, but I also like to serve as the right-hand person to the family.
0: I love that. And I love the um, the wordsmithing you did there with, yeah. with Executrixie. It's it, Um, because that's what you do. You bring light and hopefully uh, um, allow the family to rediscover joy again by being, by assisting them in the ways that you do. So what made you realize that you wanted to start your business and be an after-loss professional, especially this particular um, focus?
3: So um, in my bio, it it mentions I lost both parents um, by the age of of 31. And when my father had passed away, um, I lived two hours away from the family home, and I was also the mom to a two month old. And my father had his paperwork in place. And so the probate process with settling the estate was fairly simple. I had a fantastic attorney who was also a family friend who was assisting me with the legal pieces of it the role as executor just consumed incredible time and effort. You know, Nancy and Dan—they say right now that estate administration can last as long as 12 to 18 months, and it can take the executor—it can be um, approximately 12 40-hour weeks to get the work done within mm. um, on an estate and. So when I finally had everything completed, which took about two years later, it was because of the sale of the family home took longer than we expected. I remember standing in my kitchen and saying to my husband, I really wish I could have outsourced some of this responsibility to others. And that's where the seed for Executrixie first took place. Um, Additionally, I will say that my experience deepens my appreciation for how critical it is to have one's own paperwork and records in order and to have those conversations with your family.
0: Yeah, and this is at a time when, right after um, your loved one has died, when you don't have the bandwidth to efficiently do the work that you assist your clients with.
3: Absolutely. Um, grief and and we'll 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 continue around this topic but can definitely and it's something grief needs to be addressed and taken care of and it can definitely affect the decision making that the decisions that need to be done um during probate and even if yeah
0: um yes yes so having someone like you there um to advocate for for someone's really important stuff. I mean, there's so much that goes into this. You can't just say it's one decision. It's, it's. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know how valuable you are to yeah. your clients.
3: Yeah, I, my work allows my clients to be able to spend more time with their families, to minimize time away from their work, mm-hmm. but again, most importantly, to concentrate on their grief.
0: Right. What kind of clients do you primarily work with?
3: Well, I work... Chiefly with executors, um, those who are handling the estate fairs, and it could be of a late spouse, siblings, parents. A lot of my clients would identify themselves as Generation X or maybe part of the sandwich generation.
0: Mm -hmm. But
3: in all cases, my clients are stretched in many different directions because of work, because of children. And then, of course, now they have this added responsibility of estate administration.
0: Yeah, and... Do you help, or do you assist with the estate planning in in that capacity, or just after the um, the death happens?
3: Well, I want to be um, I want to be very clear because people get confused about this. I do not um, engage in estate planning per se. If someone needs a will written, advanced directives, a trust, um, I can refer them to many, many different. estate planning attorneys um, that can help them with that where I can help in if under the umbrella of planning is to get the procedures in place Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. once someone does pass away there will be they have like a, a guide to help them and so the family knows what the next steps need to be and it's it's like I help. I'm on the home front. I'm helping with the practical, sometimes day-to-day tasks that need to be taken care of.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you for making that distinction because we've had several uh, estate planning attorneys on our show, and they talked about what needs to be be there. So you would refer your clients to someone like that, and then you would help with, like you said, the day-to-day um, kind of mundane. Ordinary things that the um, person doesn't have the capacity to deal, or the same kind of capacity to deal with after the after the loved one dies. Yes,
3: I mean something that comes up is um, securing all the documents, making sure mm-hmm. sometimes. My clients may know that there was a will written, but they're not sure of the attorney's name. Mm -hmm. So securing the location of those important documents, making sure that the home is secured, um, making sure that the documents that the attorney's going to need to get the job done is given to them. And then also other things like notifying interested parties like Social Security, Veteran Affairs, um, creating a list of subscriptions and services that may no longer be needed the after the death um, closing online accounts all of those again little day-to-day things that need to be addressed but maybe not something that the attorney needs to be involved with mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that that is such a provides such value and one of the things that uh, we've come up with against is um, the list of people's passwords, <laughs> which, oh, they, yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, tra- trying to track those things down, and, you know, I, I do like the distinction that you made. Uh, you know, we like to think that estate planning, you know, is the pre-planning of all the activities, but, um, you know, you're almost like a crisis management um Trying to pull together all of the pieces that um, you know need to happen after that natural disaster happens, and you know, let's face it, uh, death is a natural process. And um, but when it happens unexpectedly, or even when it it's not uh, unexpected in, ter- in the case of long term illness, uh, that pulling all those things together is quite a task and
0: and knowing what to pull together
1: yeah yeah that that is so helpful
0: okay so for everybody listening
3: please write this down make sure that you have your computer password or pin number written down for someone um just in in the case of of something happening to you your pin code for your phone also um your emails if if you have everything that's all your online accounts that are going to your gmail account what is your gmail password because there are and we could talk the remainder of the show about just nightmare scenarios that i have heard but it is i mean google for instance could require if you don't have the password for that could require you to get a subpoena to be able to access the email account so it's really critical to have all of those pieces in place um because your information could be lost forever if you're mm-hmm. if your family members don't have that info
0: yeah technology is great until it isn't until it doesn't work yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. yes if if we were if we weren't on radio you would see like my hands are in the air right now please just please. make sure that you have at least some of that information given to someone
1: yeah it, it's a start and it's an important uh, piece to the puzzle i'm sure uh one of the other things that um you know we advise the people that we talk to is have one place where as many of your documents that you can think of uh, are stored because if there is an emergency and um When we spoke to uh, the fire department, actually, they advised that um, they look typically on uh, a message or a packet that is uh, set on your refrigerator, you know, with Mm -hmm. the instructions as to where all those documents can be found. The ones that are emergency, not the will, not the, you know, but the power of attorney, the medical, Mm -hmm. uh, medical power of attorney and things like that. And we've talked about those things before. I imagine that since you've started this uh, business, uh, that things have changed. And, you know, especially with um, uh, COVID, how does how has COVID affected some of the things that uh, you're doing?
3: You know, I, this may sound counterintuitive because I work with families after the death of a loved one. And we know what has happened. Um, we know that the death rates extremely increased during COVID. But it was, as far as my networking goes, I that was all online, which for me, I'm more of an in-person. You know, I, that's, I, I enjoy being in person. Um, I frequently speak at senior centers and also... Um, in assisted living facilities and those were shut down for a large amount of time and so I did have, there were a few clients that I continued to serve during COVID Um, what I have noticed though is even though my business didn't necessarily increase during those past three years I also um, the topic of talking about death of getting things in place um is becoming more commonplace and now there is um where I'm seeing organizations and people in general interested in knowing more about what I do because and Nancy both of you know this um it talking about death and planning um is not it's not a topic that people necessarily want to bring up. So, again, what I would say about COVID is that it it has um, changed my business, and that I am now more and more people are ready to listen to what I have to say.
0: Hmm.
1: That's yeah, a great point. That yeah. is a
0: great point, and and we found the same thing that um, there's so much grief that came out of COVID, and that is still around that it's it it is it's still baby steps uh yet we've noticed that there is um more of a willingness to talk about it or at least listen to it
3: and it's not just grief over the death of a loved one right the grieving over the loss of our ability to interact with other people yes with just our normal day-to-day affairs um, you know just being able to go about your business mm-hmm. um, and your book and we'll talk a little bit because I your book is something that I pass out to people um, but it, it is it's in so many different it's not just covers death that covers so many different whatever changes that we all faced
0: yeah well thank you for that um, I always appreciate hearing that that my book is. Um, being used for the purpose that I wrote it. So thank you for that. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: And that conversation, I I think that's the, um, what I liked about what you said, that COVID has allowed people, given them permission perhaps to uh, engage in an awkward conversation. And, um, you know, that's the reason why we do this and why we, you know, reach out. And I'm going to step in here and say, (laughs) Uh, you're listening to WFNU Radio, Frogtown Community Radio, on 94.1 FM.
0: So our conversation today, in our conversation today, we've been talking to Luann Casper of Executrixie LLC, and she's been sharing with us some of the things that, that um, she does with her business. And in our um, in your bio, Luann, you talk about the Willow End of Life program. And can you tell us a little more about that?
3: I would be happy to. Um, yes, I recently became certified to teach um, Willow End of Life education and planning. It is a program that was founded by um, Rena Lazar and Michelle Ponte. And I'm able, it's an international program where um I get to meet, you know, I've been able to meet people from all over the world, um, from Australia, from Canada. And what the program does is that it creates this, it's a heart-centered inquiry-based tool um, that allows people to learn about the reality of our mortality, to help people plan ahead for their for passing, and to live mm-hmm. fully with intention. I like to say sometimes when people are thinking about end of life, they rightfully think about having a will written and about the health care directives and financial power of attorney. But those are, I mean, they're hard balls if you think about it. Um, you know, it's it, you need to find the right attorney. There's a lot of different meetings that you have to have to get that done, and it's all of that is critical. But sometimes you need more of a Willow is like a softball to get people thinking about it. And it also helps provide the why you are doing what you're doing. Hmm. And so the, the Willow workshops um, can be online or in person, but some of the topics are about people's values about what are their three to five core values that help guide their living. And, um, another topic that was very popular a few months ago was greening your death Mm -hmm. so if the environment is something that's very important to you how can you carry that into your funeral planning Mm -hmm. and it's about in each workshop is about an hour and a half and it just it goes through the different options that are available
0: Hmm. and two questions who do you recommend um doing these workshops and at what point in their life do you recommend looking into that i
3: think that people need to be talking about it all the time i want people to be educated so they are empowered with these decisions and i i think that it's never too early to start talking about it because you may take let's just say it's about bringing your death. those values, what you would like mm-hmm. to happen. Well, then you know your options. You might be able to, if, if you know someone who it's, their family has just gone through the, the, a, a loss of someone, you can use that education to help that person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to be consciously thinking about it. Um, so really at any time.
0: Yeah, yeah, you, you're talking my language there. I, I think <laughs> these are conversations that we should have um, often and, and, and early. And yeah, they're not easy, and, and yet the more we have them, the um, more easeful they become. And, and, and it sounds like a program like this can assist in making them m- more easeful.
3: Yeah, I mean, just the other day, um, there was a situation that I came across, and I just, I sent a text to my kids and to my husband and said, um, just so you know, this isn't what I would want to happen. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah it's, it's important to talk about those things.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Not only what you do want, but what you don't want, because when Leah died let's face it we weren't planning a funeral because she was 17 why would you plan um, a funeral for your 17 year old and yet knowing something may have helped us get th- th- through that because we were we were lost and we don't know I know what we did and I know why we did it and it wasn't um, completely as- um, astray from a our values but if we had been able to talk to talk about it when we weren't in the throes of grief, we may have made different decisions.
3: Yes absolutely.
1: And I like what you said um, uh, about asking those questions and I, I came across something that uh, uh, sounds similar. There were five questions kind of framed a little bit differently you know like where does sacred li- sacredness live for you? And what should what should be sacred for all of humanity, and um, you know what is not sacred, and uh, talking about values and talking about uh, how community and um, you know it's really the reason why we do this is to be to have the chance to be in community with each other, you know, no matter what your beliefs are or what your ethnicity or your race or your religion to try to create situations that uh, call us to be the best versions of ourselves. And we reach out to our community, you know, both here locally in St. Paul, but, you know, to our friends and plus uh, all of the, you know, St. Paul community listening to, you know, the advice that you're giving, uh, Luann. And we really appreciate uh, filling us in on on some of these resources that people uh, can take advantage of.
0: Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Hey, you also mentioned in your bio the Professional After Loss after loss Program, PALS. Tell us about that.
3: Yes. Um, I am so excited about PALS. I'm very excited about Willow, too. But PALS is a group of women, professionals, um, after loss professionals. We're mostly women. There are actually some men, too. And it is, um, there was a training program involved, but we share best practices and also different resources um, that are available. This is a, what I'm excited about is that I found my people. Because, (laughs) again, when you think about, when you hear like what I do, one of the first questions I hear is, well, well, can you help me with the legal documents? Can you help me with this? And we are, every I, many of the people in the group went through a similar situation as I did, where we lost someone close to us, went through the probate process, and then realized, and it's not just probate. If, I mean, it, it, there are there's overlap, because it, it, I don't want people, probate has a very, has a very negative connotation i mean it it could be after the death of anyone um and and what the family is going through all of these people realized, just like i did that afternoon in my kitchen with oh can i outsource this um can i have someone help me close close the accounts? can i have someone who's checking in on the house because i live two hours away and um it's and what they have said is, you know, it's the, this field of helping people after the death of a loved one. It's emerging and it's here's a sobering statistic. With COVID, we had so many the loss of so many lives. But in the next 20 years with baby boomers, the death rate is going to double over the next 20 years.
1: Wow. Uh, appreciate that because um, uh, we are, we are the boomers, and uh, we get called that uh, all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, we will go beyond the twenty years and into the thirty-year range. But that's another—that's that, that's yeah. another conversation. Um, what would you like to share with people who are considering becoming after loss professionals?
3: Well, I, you know, there are. I talk to a lot of people who are considering a career like mine, and it's because. They, they suffered a loss and realized how hard the work is. Um, and I don't want to discourage anyone, but it does take a little bit more than just wanting to go forward with helping people. Um, I did, yes. these, as I mentioned, I trained with Jean Smith, mm-hmm. who had founded Estate Organizing. Um, she had a company called Exit Stage Left, which or Exit Stage Right, which was in um, the Bay Area. Um, I then also did this after loss program again. So I have people who can, um, I have people that I can collaborate with, mm-hmm. ask best practices. Um, I also did a program called Launch Apex, which was a business planning um, program, which helps me look to write a business plan as well as Think about things that you ordinarily wouldn't. What's the exit strategy going to be for your business? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it involves a lot of education. It's also it's expensive, and it took a lot of time—hours, um, weeks, probably months—of my time. But it was necessary because, again, this is a this is a new field, and you, you want to be able to build rapport with clients, but then also your referral partners I'd also like to say that it's a field where you need to have emotional boundaries Mm. because there will be tough conversations that you will have with clients and and you need to be and anyone who were were to consider pursuing this needs to be ready to be an active listener but then also to be able to separate it from your private
0: life, right? You need you need clear, strong boundaries. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And helps.
1: maybe that's uh, one of the reasons why men aren't so inclined to um, be involved in this. I, I, and that's a question that I've been asked before, you know. Um, and from my perspective, you know, a, a guy here trying to have an awkward conversation. Why do you think um, there aren't more men participating in in Programs like this, uh, I know women are caregivers, and you know why is it that men shy away from this? Do you think? I, I know that's off topic, but uh, it's it's a question that I you know have asked myself.
3: Yeah, no, I, it's it's an interesting one, and I do think that you know maybe it is because women tend to be more no, more nurturing. Um, I'm also gonna say that men sometimes can be a little bit more focused on getting the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so may not second guess it. Um, second guess maybe decisions. And boy, I hope I didn't get into any trouble with making those generalizations. Well, yeah, uh,
1: and, and <laughs> that, that wasn't, uh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but, yeah, you're right, you know, um, empathy and compassion. Are are important elements of the work that we do, and um, uh, and again that um, you know trying to create and live our best version of ourselves. I think more compassion and more empathy in the world would be something that everybody could welcome.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I want to circle back to what you were um, when you were talking about your business oftentimes the businesses that we create or maybe all the time are created are born out of a need that we had in our own lives you you spoke of that it certainly is true for me and for dan and when you you get this brilliant because it is all of our ideas are brilliant ideas and they will help so many people and we think all we have to do is announce what we're doing it everybody will flock to us and it, we we do need to treat our businesses as businesses we're entrepreneurs and we have a business that needs to have a business plan we need to have especially in these kinds of businesses that are not like uh, it, 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 when you used to go to networking it was like i, I it's not like getting your hair cut every six to eight weeks or, or, or eating cupcakes, which would be great. We have, mm-hmm. a li- we have a much different clientele and a much different way of talking about the way that we um, meet our clients. And, yes. And, and so that's um, really, I'm glad you brought that up because that's really important. Because if we're able to meet with our clients in the way that we do, And listen and help them to move forward in their lives then they will want to get that haircut every six to eight weeks so that they'll want to eat cupcakes and um, do all the fun stuff Um, but when you're grieving you don't always feel like having fun
3: and there's also the issue of privacy Mm -hmm. is I um, I will not have a a conversation with someone in the morning and then write a a blog post about it. Right. Because I am working with people in their most vulnerable states and they may say things that they probably wouldn't, that they wouldn't want repeated. And as a professional, Mm -hmm. I won't repeat them. I may, you know, bring up a few months later like a a scenario that I had been involved in, Mm -hmm. but I'm never going to you know, reveal the person's identity.
0: Exactly, exactly, and, and uh, I'm the same way. I will never, you will never know who my clients are unless they tell you. You know, right. that's uh, th- that's a part of the, the clear boundaries. Um, since you mentioned blogs, <laughs> in one of your blogs you talked about the taboos surrounding the end end of life, and grief and we talked a little bit about this about preparation but how do you break the taboo
3: we talked a little bit about this but having um just starting those conversations so for instance let's say a friend has has lost a parent and uh Then she realizes a few months later, she's going through her process, and then she realizes a few months later that her good friend also has a mother who's in a a parent who's in a similar situation. And planting that seed of just saying, hey, have you had, you know, this is what I learned from handling, um, from dealing with the death of my mother, the estate administration, you know, or things like that. Have you started to have that conversation? And just making... Mm -hmm the topic of death and dying does not have to be sad and depressing Mm -hmm. it can be it it can be a way to to share and actually there could be some joy that is involved in remembering a loved one and so making it just a more commonplace topic
0: Mm -hmm. yes yes making it a more commonplace topic and that I haven't read the book yet that Dan referenced at, at the top of the show, but something you shared about the way our brains process things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for instance, uh, uh, we recently lost our cat, and both of oh. us still think we see her jumping off the couch, and that's our brain <laughs> that's, that's doing that. So our brain takes a while to catch up to reality. Yeah. And so by talking about it, that's one of the things that we can do to prepare. Mm-hmm. And it can help rewire,
1: you know, your, your neurons so that uh, uh, you can retrain your brain. And I think that's a lot of, you know, if you look at the scientific part of the brain chemistry, we're so used to having our loved one there when they're not there. Um, that's when grief enters and it takes a while for our brain to kind of reprogram itself to understand that what we held as normal is no longer you know a valid conclusion and we need to find our new normal and we've talked about that before on our show the fact that uh, people say if we could only go back to the way it was and that's not possible
3: yeah um for instance um So, with my parents, my father was very proud of his Irish heritage, and so one thing that I have been known to do is around St. Patrick's Day or on his birthday, ordering a a draft of Irish beer and Mm -hmm. just having a toast um, for him. My mother-in-law loved to have, um, you know, family meals, so sometimes um, it could be around her birthday or around the holidays, is to... Um, prepare one of her favorite meals Mm -hmm. my father or um my father my husband's father is alive um that he always make made chili on Christmas Eve well we always every Christmas Eve whether we're with him or not Mm -hmm. we always remember like remember when dad used to do this so there are ways you can be celebrating people and not make it sad
0: yeah, I, I love all of those because that is how you keep them alive, uh, by doing some of the things that, that they did that made them special for you.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you ritualize the uh, yeah. the things. And um, and the converse is true because uh, on our first Christmas after Leah died, mm-hmm. um or actually, it was the second Christmas we decided that we couldn't do Christmas the way that we right. we did, so we gave ourselves permission to change how we would celebrate because what we had done was too painful right. so you know it it can it it's situational and it is something that you have to decide for yourself what is what is right for you because there is no right or wrong right. way of of grieving yeah. and we um, uh, have a have that ability of working through it and it takes those conversations
0: Right. we are mm-hmm. starting to get to the end of our show but before we do um, I have three specific questions I want to ask you the first to are uh, what do you see the future of of the work you do, and and then maybe tied to that is, um, I know you're located in Apex, North Carolina, um, near the Triangle, or in the Triangle, at the Apex of the Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you work with people in, in, in other locations?
3: I do, um, yes. I can work remotely. I can also work on, um, on location. Um, with, with clients. Um, I've done that in the past. Um, it would involve, usually it would be a, a larger project and where I would try to take um, and do the project in like a week or so. Um, but there are definitely um, accommodations um, that I can make for various people across the country. Okay. One thing that has been very interesting is um, that I'm currently in the works right now on um, are, there are a lot of companies who are sending people overseas and how will that work if that person had been named the executor of an estate and if they need to come back to the States. Uh, so working with those clients, but then the flip side, if someone's living abroad and passes away, getting, you know, taking care of, um, that type of estate state as well mm-hmm. um, so yes I'm definitely not limited um, in my geographic scope
0: yeah great well uh, time has just flown by here today um, before we finish up I want, would like you to let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you and maybe one last one last thought
3: sure well likewise the time has flown by for me um, as well and I'm having good conversation with good people the way that people can reach me is um, to visit my website and sign up for my email list um, which by the way I'll tell people I don't spam you because I don't like being spammed but I do like to send out occasional notices just letting people know about what I'm up to and then also my workshops um, my website is www.executrixie.com which is E-X-E-C-U-T-R-I-X-I-E dot com. I can also be found on my personal profile on LinkedIn, Luann Flanagan Casper, um, as well as I have a a Facebook page and an Instagram page as well. Um, And then lastly, I'll give out my phone number. Um, I can be called or text text
0: it at 860-899-5375. Great. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you.
1: So today's conversation uh, with Luann Flanagan-Casper wove our way around how an advocate like Executrixie can help you through the stress of arranging the tasks around all of the bureaucratic planning, and paperwork when a loved one dies, and helping with all of the tasks associated with the things that happen uh, around a death of a loved one. She offers a sympathetic and consoling hand when faced with these overwhelming tasks, and we really appreciate her visiting uh, with us and sharing her comments. Thanks again, Luann.
3: Thank you, Dan and Nancy.
0: For today's inspiration, uh, I chose a a quote from Stephen Jenkinson, who is the author of Die Wise and many other books. Um, I chose this quote because today we talked about skills to manage practical things after a loved one dies. In this quote, Stephen talks about grief as a skill, and it also happens to be one of my very favorite quotes. From a young age, we see around us that grief is mostly an affliction, a misery that intrudes into the life we deserve a rupture of the natural order of things, a trauma that we need coping and management in 5 stages and 12 steps to get over. Here's the revolution. What if grief is a skill, in the same way that love is a skill, something that must be learned and cultivated and taught? What if grief is the natural order of things, a way of loving life anyway? Grief and love of life are twins natural human skills that can be learned, first by being on the receiving end and feeling worthy of them, and later by practicing them when you run short of understanding. In a time like ours, grieving is a subversive act.
1: Thank you, Nancy. We invite any provider who has important information to share for the benefit of our listeners who may be struggling with loss or struggling with the emotional pain to tune in and to contact us. Emotional pain associated with death can also help in navigating life-changing circumstances like incarceration, homelessness, loss of a job, traumatic in- injury, uh, or immigration. We're here to have these difficult and awkward conversations and if you have insight into that, we invite you to contact us. Thank you. Uh, listening today and uh, look forward to speaking again next week at this same time on this station wfnu 94.1 fm and you can listen to us live streamed on wfnu.org
0: you've been listening to monday morning conversations with nancy and dan thank you for listening Through our own journey, we know that it's possible to find meaning, purpose, and joy again after a loss. Join us each week as we share useful information to help you develop the skills necessary to meet grief when it enters your life and to show you the importance of having difficult conversations, even when you don't know how to start them. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at our website, beingwithgrief.com.